Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, thanks so much for being here as we dive into the second part of this sort of follow-up series that we've been doing called The God, uh, the God Jesus Knows and the Problem of Sin. Um, and I'm really, really excited to dive into today's idea because it's such a deep and important uh, idea as we navigate what Christianity really means and who this God is and what he does. The reason we've called it uh, the God Jesus knows and the problem of sin is because, um, and the reason it's a follow-up series is because the first series we did in this year was called the God Jesus knows. And in that series, we took some time to just discover and realize the reality that there are so many ideas about who God is in this world. There are so many ideas about what he's like and how he treats people and what he does and how he reacts to our mistakes or our thoughts or our you know, living and how we do. Um, and what we discovered is that so many of those ideas are negative and so many of those ideas are broken. And I believe so many of those ideas are misunderstandings of who God really is. And so what Christianity teaches is that God decided to take the guesswork and the assumption work of who he is out of the equation. And he actually decided, hey, I want them to know me. I want them to know who I am. This is what Christianity teaches. And so he decided to enter into our world, enter into history, enter into our experience in the form of Jesus. And when Jesus came, one of the most important things that he did for us is allow us to know who God is, allow us to see what God is like. So, so there's this question that we can ask now whenever we bump into an idea or an, a situation or an understanding of who God is that just kind of goes, oh, really, is that who he is? Or, oh, no, that doesn't make sense. Or, oh, no, that sounds horrible. Whenever we bump into an idea about who God is, an important question, we've said this throughout the series, an important question we can ask is this, is this idea consistent with the God Jesus knows? Is this idea consistent with the God Jesus reveals? Because one of his primary things that he came to do was to allow us to know what God is like. And, and, and here's the thing, if there really is a God, doesn't that make sense that he would want us to know him and that he would reveal himself to us like that? And what we discovered through the series that God, Jesus knows, is, is that God is incredibly good, that he's incredibly generous, that he's trustworthy, and he is unconditionally loving. That's what we discovered. But that does lead to another question. And the question that it leads to is, if God is so good, if he is so trustworthy, if he is so generous, if he is unconditionally loving, then how does he handle the problem of sin? How does he navigate our sin? Because we've read the Bible sometimes and read like sin and punishment and justice and we, we hear people talk about it and we know our own hearts. We know the own sort of shame we sometimes feel and guilt and like try to hide and all that stuff. How does God handle the problem of sin? And that's where we wanna go in this sort of follow-up series. So last week what we did is we looked very in-depth at the problem of justice, or not, maybe not a problem. Yeah, it is a problem. <laughs> we looked at the need for justice. The reality is, and it's not just a general need out there, it is, but it's also us. We need God to be just. We want him to be just. And we looked in depth at this. I won't go too deep into it now, but what we said was this, that if we're ever going to be able to trust God, then he must be a just God that he must be just in every situation, every single situation. If he's not, we'll never be able to trust him because if he's just there but not there, then it's like, oh my gosh, can you ever trust him? 
But if he, you know, so if we're going to trust God, he must be a just God. But that causes a bit of a problem because that means that if he's just, then he must be just with us. Uh oh. (laughs) And we want him to be just out there and take care of all the bad things in the world. But then what about the bad things in me? We want him to be just, but we don't want him to judge us. But this is what we discovered last week. And this is so, and if you didn't hear this message, I'd love for you to go listen. But we discovered through this whole journey of the God Jesus knows that he, because he's good, because he's loving, because he's generous, because he's trustworthy, he did not want us to face or experience the punishment associated with his perfect justice. He didn't want that. And if justice is gonna be just, it needs to punish wrongdoing. That's just reality. That's what our legal system does. We want that. We know that. But God didn't want us to face the punishment. There was a problem of punishment. And so what he did was he took the punishment on himself. That's why Jesus died. He took the punishment on himself, solving all the justice, taking care of all the justice, solving the problem of punishment so that we didn't have to take that. And here's where we landed last week. We said this, when, because he did that, when we trust him, what happens is he moves us from being defendants under the authority of a righteous judge to being children under the protection of a loving father. Because of what Jesus did, when we trust him, he moves us from being defendants under the authority of a righteous judge to being children under the protection of a loving father. So that's where we went last week. Again, if you didn't listen to it, I'd love for you to go hear it because he solved the problem. Jesus solved the problem of punishment. Now today I wanna look at another problem that sin creates. And if he solved the problem of punishment last week, today I wanna look at another one that seems to, I don't know, it feels like it goes deeper. It feels like, is this possible to be solved? Because this, this problem that we're gonna look at today impacts everything about us. Almost every thought, almost every action. It impacts all of us. It impacts our relationship with God. It impacts our relationship with everyone around us, especially the people closest. It impacts everything about us. So we need to look at this. And it's incredible what Christianity offers in this place. Last week, we saw that Jesus solved the problem of punishment. Today, I wanna look at the problem of pollution. The problem that there's something in us that seems to have polluted us. Something in us that seems to have corrupted us. So before I jump into the content, I wanna define those two words, pollution and corruption, because I'm gonna talk about that and I want you to know what I mean when I'm talking about pollution and corruption. So Merriam-Webster's dictionary defines corruption like this. It's a departure from the original or from what is pure. Corruption is when something happens and there's a departure from what it was meant to be. It's been corrupted. Pollution is defined like this. It's the presence in, something is in it, or the introduction into an environment of a substance or thing that has harmful or poisonous effects. That when something is polluted, something comes in and it, it, it brings in harmful and poisonous effects. Now the reason I define both of those terms is this. Christianity teaches that we as humans suffer from a problem of corruption and a problem of pollution. That there has been, for us as humans, a departure from what it was meant to be. There has been a departure from the original. And there has been an introduction of something harmful and poisonous into us, into our hearts, into our nature. 
hope you can go on a journey with me as I talk about this, talk about the problem of pollution and then what Christianity offers to solve this problem. So go on this journey. Let me, let me start by saying this. Uh, Christianity teaches that God actually created us as humans perfectly. That when humans, when we were created, he made us good. He made us perfect. That, that when he created us, there was nothing wrong with us. Imagine that. <laughs> that there was nothing wrong with us. No wrong motives. There, were, there was no relational breakdowns. Nobody was unkind or malicious to anyone else. Imagine. When God made us, life was not unfair. There was no manipulation. There was no selfishness. There was no bitterness. There was no bullying. There was nothing wrong. Nobody saw themselves as better than anybody else. Nobody felt less than anyone else. Nobody was better than anyone else. Nobody was less than anyone else. Nobody looked down on anybody and nobody felt looked down on. When God created us, he created us perfectly. Everything was perfect. Now I know as we look into our own hearts, we're like, I don't know if I can understand that or believe that. I know when we look around at our world today, especially at what's going on globally, it's like, I don't even know how that could have worked. But isn't it true that there's something in our hearts that longs for that? Like when I say it, isn't it like, man, I could just let my shoulders down. I don't have to be like the whole time. That we long for that beauty, that perfection, that love that was there. And that's what Christianity says and teaches that God created this world perfectly and he created us as humans perfectly. But then Christianity teaches that something happened, something terrible happened. We came along. <laughs> and when we came along, we were people created perfectly, but we were also created with free will and choice and with the ability to, to be independent and autonomous creatures. He created us like that. And then unfortunately, because of that desire for independence, that desire for our own way, that desire for what I want grew so much that eventually it led to some very poor decisions in our ancestors as humans. It led to poor decisions which caused something horrible to happen in us. You see, we as humans began to be self-centered. And we made some selfish and self-gratifying decisions. And as a result, we began to hurt each other and blame each other. And as a result, we began to put ourselves ahead of others and we began to trust our own thoughts rather than trusting. I mean, if God is perfect and really loves us and knows what's best, like it would make sense to follow him. But this desire for me and my and what I want started making us as humans go, I'm gonna trust me more than I trust him. And as a result, we disobeyed God. And when that happened, something corrupted inside of us. Something moved away from the original. Something moved away from who we were in the beginning and it polluted us. And humanity became polluted in some way and was corrupted. Christianity teaches that we introduced something into this perfect world that had harmful and poisonous effects. The problem of pollution was born. And it teaches that that pollution actually infected each of us as human beings. Now, I don't know how that lands with you. I don't know if that sounds way too philosophical or way too crazy or like really or too weird. But my guess is if we take all the big words and all the weirdness of this out and we just sit and think, my guess is all of us will probably acknowledge, yeah, 
I have a longing that things wouldn't be this way, which means that I probably, there should have been something different and I'm not it. There's been a departure from perfection. There's been a departure from the original and it feels like there's something poisonous. I mean, think about the world. <laughs> there's something poisonous, something harmful has impacted us. I've said this before, but I wanna dive a little deeper as I continue to build this case that there's something broken, there's something polluted, there's something corrupted inside of us. Um, here's what I've said before. Have you ever wondered why it is so easy to do the wrong thing sometimes? Like this is, this is as I think about, is there something wrong with me? Oh yeah. When I think about this question, I realize that there's something wrong with me. Why is it so easy to do the wrong thing? And why is it so hard to do the right thing sometimes? Like, what is that? Have you ever thought, what is that in me that makes that happen? Have you ever wondered why it's so easy to get defensive about something that your husband or your wife calls you out on that you know you did wrong? And what's the reaction? You're right, honey. I'm wrong. You're, as always. No, what's the reaction? You're wrong. What about you? Like, what, what is that? And yet, you know, I joke about it, but it's true, right? I know it's in me. What is that in us that makes us defend first? That, that maybe when a friend calls you out or a family member calls you out and you know it's wrong and yet defensiveness rises up in us rather than just humbly admitting that we're wrong. What is that? I mean, that's what we want in the other person. That's why we call people out, right? Sometimes, sometimes there's a wrong motive with that as well. But sometimes when we say, hey, here's just this thing that's bothering me. What do we want them to do? Humbly admit, right? That's what we want. And yet when they do that to us, it's like, Rah! what is that? <laughs> Why is that there? Why is it so easy to be selfish sometimes? And I want to push past someone and get the best thing over there. And if they're going to go for it, especially if they want it as well, then I'm going to walk really fast. I'm going to get there really quick. Why do kids, maybe this has happened to every single, I know this is, I've done this and I've seen friends do this. Why do kids, when there's a big piece of cake and a little piece of cake, which piece of cake do I want? I don't I'm not even that hungry. But give me the big one. And then if my brother or my sister's walking quick with me, I walk quicker. And then what do I do? I grab the big one and I lick it. <laughs> Why? So that they can't get it. They don't want to. And we hate it when they do it. We hate it. We're like, you're so selfish. It's unfair. But I can do it. What is that thing? We know we shouldn't, and yet it's in us. What is that thing that makes it so easy to do the wrong thing? makes it so easy to be selfish, makes it so easy to put myself first. Why is that? There's something in us. We know it's wrong, and yet there's something that drives us. Have you ever wondered why it's so easy to think negative thoughts about other people? I mean, people who are different from you? <laughs> why? Why is it so easy to think negative thoughts about them? People who make different mistakes from you? Why is it so easy? I mean, I justify my mistake, but God, there's, that's terrible. Why do I think that? Why can't I just not elevate myself above other people? What is that in us? Why is it so easy to think negative thoughts about people who look different from us, who do different from us? Why, why is it so easy to think negative thoughts about people who've had different opportunities and maybe better opportunities than us? Have you ever wondered why it's so easy to criticize them and judge them? and think they're stupid or bad or did it wrong or cheated or something or it's unfair. Why is it so easy to elevate ourselves? 
And to excuse or justify our own behavior or our own reason for criticizing, there's good reason for me to criticize. Why? We, like when I talk about it out loud, we all go, yeah, that's not right. And yet, why is it so easy to go down that road? Have you ever wondered about that? Why is it so easy to do the wrong thing? The thing we would hope others wouldn't do or wouldn't think, why is it so easy for us? Have you ever wondered why it's so easy, why we are drawn to desire things that are not ours, things that we don't have or can't have? Why do we desire that? Men, why is it so easy to be drawn to look at stuff that we know we shouldn't, watch stuff that we know we shouldn't? Why? With things we know that'll hurt our relationship with our wives. Why? Why is that, what, what is it in us that draws us to do things that we know we shouldn't do? Why is temptation so tempting? What is it? Corruption? Pollution? Christianity actually answers that question. Christianity actually identifies that, that there is something that's polluted us. There is something that has been corrupted and removed from what was original. There is something in us, and Christianity calls it this Bible word that some people struggle with, and I don't blame people for struggling with this word because it's been used so badly and it's been used so judgmentally, but Christianity describes that pollution, that corruption in us as sin. And I don't know what you call it, maybe it's like broken human nature, ego, brokenness, whatever it is, the reality is Christianity calls that sin. And it teaches that from the beginning, humans were made perfectly, and then because we chose differently, because we pushed God aside, because we chose self, we corrupted our very nature, and sin took root in us and tainted us, broke us. There's a corruption, a pollution that's come into us, this disease of sin, and we find ourselves struggling every single day with the problem of pollution. We see it from a really young age. Um, man, there was a moment when, when we were raising our kids that this just was so clear. Um, one of my sons, I mean, as he navigated his life, he was such a sweet kid and, and so kind and try to help others and try to do the right thing. I mean, he was driven. He, he wanted to do the right thing. And we found out when he went to um, a preschool class, he was four years old. Four-year-olds don't know how to be mean yet. You know, four-year-olds are cute. They're sweet. And yet I found out from a teacher and the parent of this child that my sweet, kind, precious four-year-old had started treating that kid badly, started calling him things, just treating him poorly. And it was out of character. It was like, who, what's going on? And so I took him to the park. And I'll never forget this day. I was sitting on a park bench with him, my cute little kid sitting next to me, so sweet, precious. And I looked at him and I said, why, what's going on? Why are you doing this? It's not who you are typically. What's going on? Why are you doing this to this other kid? Man, I'll never forget it. He looked up at me and he started to cry and he said, I don't know. I don't know. And right there, it was such a picture of the reality from a very young age. There is something polluted. There is something corrupted inside of us that makes it easy. He knew he shouldn't, and yet there was something. There's something in us that makes it easy to do the wrong thing and hard to do the right thing. And Christianity, Jesus calls that sin. 
It's a sin disease. It's the problem of pollution. As much as we don't like to label it sin, the reality is if we just think about it, it's hard to argue the fact that there is something in us that doesn't feel right. There is something in us, and that's why we struggle with this problem of pollution all the time. And Christianity says it gets a little worse than this. That's pretty bad already, but Christianity goes on and it actually says that this problem of pollution, this problem of sin, is actually a problem that is incurable and terminal, that sin is an incurable and terminal disease, that we can't fix it. That no matter what we do as humans, we can't fix it. No matter how many good things we do, no matter how many kind things we do, when we look back, oh my gosh, it's there. We can try hide it. We can try pretend, but it's incurable to us as humans. And it's terminal, meaning that it will eventually lead to death, that the only way to be rid of this disease, like any terminal disease, is when we die. It's the only way you get rid of a terminal disease, when you die, and Christianity describes sin as a terminal disease that can only be rid of when we die. One of the greatest uh, Christian writers, uh, Paul, he wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. He met Jesus, and he went on to explain Christianity so brilliantly. He writes a letter to some people in Rome, and in this letter, he describes this incredible idea, this reality of us and our broken pollution kind of driven heart. And he describes in this letter what Christianity says about this. This this is what he says in terms of the whole, um, like that it's a terminal disease. Romans chapter five, verse 12, he says this. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, talking about Adam and our ancestors, first humans, when we, they sinned, it kind of birthed in us a human nature that is polluted. That just as sin entered the world through one man, and death through sin. It's terminal. And in this way, death came to all people, all of us, because all sinned. That that sin comes in, and it's incurable, and it's terminal. Each of us as humans suffers from the problem of pollution. That somehow spiritually, we have been polluted. That we have contracted this incurable terminal disease called sin and it infects everything and ultimately leads to death. And only in death can we ever be rid of it. And what we saw last week is if uh, we die, if we come to the end of our lives with this disease of sin still infecting the core of who we are, even if we're good people, doesn't matter what we do, if this sin is still infecting the core of who we are, that causes spiritual death and separation from God. So we looked at last week. But The beauty of who God is, because he's so good and kind and loving and trustworthy and generous, because of that's who he is, he just knew that he did not want us to have to pay the penalty of that sin. So he came and he died to take the problem of punishment out of the way. He died to take the punishment due for that sin. But the question is, did he just die to forgive us? What about the problem of pollution? Yes, he took care of the problem of punishment. That's awesome. But what about the problem of pollution? So sure, he forgave our sin, but is there still something there? Does does he do anything to take care of the problem of pollution? That sin still drives us and still defines us? 
Did he do anything to do that? Is there a way to solve the problem of pollution like he solved the problem of punishment? Because we can only get rid of that if we die, according to what Paul just said, according to a terminal disease. And this is why I love Christianity so much. Because, you know, if it just forgave me, that would be incredible and that would be amazing. And wow, that's amazing because we don't deserve forgiveness and he forgives us, takes care of the problem of punishment. But he does more. Christianity teaches that it's not just the problem of punishment that's taken care of. He actually takes care of the problem of pollution inside of us as well. Because what Christianity teaches is that Jesus, terminal disease can only be gone when we die. Jesus chose to die on our behalf. Christianity teaches that somehow, I don't know how to explain this fully, but because he's God, because he was sinless, he was able to take the disease of sin, literally, I don't know how he did it, but scrape the disease of sin out of us and put it on himself and then die the death that the disease, this terminal disease of sin causes. And then when he rises from the dead, he offers us his life. And if we trust him, that somehow we can die in him, and that death that causes the death of this terminal disease of sin, his life can be given to us. The cure can be given to us. He could die in our stead, not just for the punishment, but for the disease. And he could give us his life. James Bryan Smith, the author of the book that inspired the series, says this, Jesus took on a body like our own because human bodies were liable to the corruption of death. And he surrendered his body to death in place of all and offered it to the Father. This he did out of sheer love for us so that in his death all might die. And in the law, and the law of death would thereby be abolished. He continues, he says, corruption could not be removed other than through death. Why? It's a terminal disease. For this reason, therefore, Jesus assumed a body capable of death. It was by surrendering to death the body which he had taken as an offering and sacrifice free from any stain. He was not corrupted. He was not polluted that he abolished death for his human brothers and sisters. And when he rose again, and this is so incredible, when he rose again, he offered us the cure to the disease. He offered us the cure to the disease. He offered us the antidote to the pollution. You see, Christianity teaches that he died sinlessly to overcome death. That our disease, the death that our disease was causing, he died sinlessly to overcome that. And then when he rose from the dead, conquering death, and he offers us the cure to the disease. And you know what the cure to the disease is? His life, his righteousness in us. And it's kind of like he's standing in front of us all the time, calling us, going, hey, I know it's a mess in there. I know, and I love you. I love you. I'm not judging you for the mess in there. I get it. You're human. There's pollution, it's there, you're born with it, it's corruption, it's there. I'm not judging you for the sin of the disease, it's there. We spoke about the problem of punishment last week, that he took care of the justice, that's taken care of, and now he's looking at the disease going, I get it, and you're afraid to show me, I know it's there, I love you, and I'm standing here with the cure. If you trust me, I'm standing here with the cure. 
And if we accept his death and his resurrection, and again, I don't know how to explain this, but somehow his spirit enters into us, his life, his righteousness, his purity, his cleanliness. What's the opposite of pollution? His decontamination, whatever it is. He offers us his perfection, his life, his cure. And he brings life into that place where this incurable, terminal disease causes death. And he says, hey, I'm gonna put my life there. If you trust me, I wanna put my life there so that we no longer have to be defined by the problem of sin. We no longer have to be defined by the problem of pollution. He is giving us a purity and a life and a righteousness. That's what he did. Let's get back to what Paul said because he explains this so beautifully. Romans chapter five, verse 12 again, I'll read that again. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, and in this way, death came to all people because all sinned. And what I wanna do is I wanna jump to different verses now because he speaks about several different ideas. I wanna focus in on this idea and he talks about how there's this problem of pollution. There's this problem of pollution. It's a terminal disease. But then he also talks about how Jesus made the cure possible. So let's go to verse 15, Romans 5, 15. He says, but the gift is not like the trespass. For if the many died by the trespass of one man, we were all polluted. The many were polluted because sin entered the world early on. We were all polluted, corrupted, and infected by the sin disease. So many died by the trespass of one man. How much more did God's grace and the gift that came by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflowed to many. So if many died, how much more can the grace overcome that problem? Verse 17, for if by the trespass of the one man, death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and of the gift of righteousness, it's Jesus' righteousness. It's the opposite of the pollution. It's the opposite of the corruption, and it's a gift. We can't earn it, we can't do anything to make it happen. No, it's a gift. How much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? What he's saying is, you don't have to be defined by that problem anymore. You can be defined by the life of Christ. Verse 19. For just as through the disobedience of the one man, the many were made sinners, polluted, so also through the obedience of the one man, Jesus, the many will be made righteous. We were made sinners by the sin. When Christ died and we trust him, we are made righteous. What was polluted and corrupted can be made righteous. That's what Paul's saying, it's incredible. And over and over and over again, he talks about the reality of what Jesus did on the cross and when he rose, not to, and he did that not just to forgive sins, that's phenomenal, not just to take care of the problem of punishment, but he did that to also overcome the problem of pollution. He did that to also overcome the problem that's been corrupting our own hearts and to offer us the cure. <clears throat> He says it again in different words in Galatians chapter two, verse 20, a different letter he wrote. He says this, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. And again, if I've accepted Christ, what he's saying is my corrupted, polluted self died in Christ, with Christ when he was crucified. When I trust him, 
I have been crucified with Christ. And I, that corrupted, polluted version of who I am, died with Christ. And Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Verse 21, he says, I do not set aside the grace of God. I don't set aside the grace of God because or for if righteousness could be gained through the law, through me doing a bunch of good things, Christ died for nothing. You see, he's saying that in Christ, I died. <laughs> this is huge. If I trust Christ, then, then he died the death that my sin disease causes. In Christ, I died. I've been crucified. So that the problem of pollution that corrupted me, that poisoned me, could die in that death. And now, the life I live now, I live trusting Christ in me, and that gives me a completely different option. It gives me a different option. It gives me a different way. If I was able to fix this problem of pollution myself, then Jesus wouldn't have had to die. It's a, it's a good, like, why did Jesus have to die? Why couldn't he just say, I forgive you? Well, firstly, justice had to be served and the problem of punishment had to be taken care of. But secondly, sin kills. It, it, it's terminal. And he had to die, take that, and die the death that we needed to die. He needed to die so that I could then be given his gift of righteousness when I trust him. No, I could not fix me. There's no action. There's no good work. There's no law I can obey. There's no Christian thing I can do in order to fix the problem. Trying to do Christian things can't fix this problem. Trying to do good can't fix this problem. Nothing can fix this problem. Trying to fix this problem without dying, without Christ dying on my behalf and giving me the cure, trying to fix it myself is like trying to feed a dead body and hoping it will rise. Yeah, take some food. It won't work. It's like trying to put a Band-Aid on someone who has cancer and hoping the cancer will disappear if I put a Band-Aid on it. It doesn't work. No, the only way to fix a terminal disease is death. And Jesus, oof, by what he did, provides the death that we needed to die. And in rising again, he overcame it and provides us with the cure and because we have that, because he puts his life in us, yes, we still have this remnants of sin. Sin still remains. Yes, there's still, we drag our sin nature with us wherever we go until we die. Yes, that's there. But if the cure comes in, I have another option. I don't have to be defined by the sin. I can be defined by him. In other words, if we trust what Jesus did for us, Christianity teaches that we move from being defined by the problem of pollution. We move away from being slaves to the corruption of sin, and we can be filled with the life of Him. That's what Christianity teaches. It's so much more than just forgiveness. It's literally He can change our hearts at the core to Go in to where it's been polluted and give us a cure that we don't have to be driven by sin anymore, that there is another option. He's given us his life. And if we surrender to him, his life, his righteousness is in us so that we are not defined by sin, but defined by him. It's amazing. A few weeks ago, we said this statement that describes the good news of Jesus. And it starts by this saying, we are actually more sinful than we ever dared believe. 
but we're more loved than we ever dared hope. He knows all the mess, and he loves us more than we could ever hope. But this, what we're looking at today, adds to that. Not only are we more sinful than we ever dared believe and more loved than we ever dared hope, if this is true, which Christianity does not stop talking about it, then we are also more whole in him. We are more whole than we ever dared imagine. We can be, we can live a life defined by him and who he is, and we don't have to be defined and driven by this problem of pollution, by the sin in us. We are more whole than we ever dared imagine. Yes, sin remains. Of course it remains. We can't get away from that until we die. But because of what Christ has done, when we trust him, sin does not have to reign. It does not have to rule. Yes, it remains, but it does not have to reign. Paul explains this in depth in the next chapter. He says in Romans 6 verse 3, or do you not know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Why does it say that? Unless the terminal disease must die in death. When we were baptized into Christ, when we trusted Christ, we were baptized into his death. Verse four, we were therefore buried with him through baptism into death. In order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. We were baptized into death. The sin disease, this problem of pollution that leads, it's terminal, it leads to death. We were baptized into his death so that we could also rise with him to new life. Verse five, if we, for if we have been united with him in death, like in a death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. For we know that our old self, the corrupted, polluted version of ourselves, was crucified with him. That's huge news. <laughs> That's amazing. It was crucified. Our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. We cannot overcome our sin by ourselves. We have to die. And there is a death that Jesus died and he invites us into that, to die with him. I've been crucified with Christ. The life I now live, I live by faith in him. Verse eight, now if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. Verse 10, the death he died, he died to sin. Once for all, all of us. But the life he lives, he lives to God in the same way. And this, this, now he kind of gives instruction. This is what I want you to do with this crazy, amazing information. In the same way, verse 11, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Would you live your life believing that you're dead to sin? That you don't have to be defined by this pollution. You don't have to be defined by this corruption. You're dead to it. What if we believed that? What if we believe what Jesus said? What if we believe that he died this death so that we don't have to count yourselves dead to sin and alive to God, who you were meant to be, living that life that he's given you? What if that's true? That's what Paul says. That's what changed him. And man, this is so beautiful. I'm so grateful for this. Count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Verse 12, therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. You don't have to let sin reign anymore. You know why? Because Jesus died the death for it. 
and he's offered you the cure. And when we trust him, his life goes to the core of who we are, changing the core of who we are, purifying the corruption, purifying the pollution, and giving us his life in us. And we can count ourselves dead to sin and alive to God. That's the promise of Christianity. It doesn't only solve the problem of punishment. <laughs> it also solves the problem of pollution. So over the next few weeks, we're going to talk about what does that mean practically? How do we live that out? How do we live out this new life in us? How do we, how do we not succumb to this, this while still feeling some of the presence, sin remains in a way? How do we still live? Yes, there's temptation. Yes, we drag this around. So how do we live this life in him, his life in us, while still living with what seems to be this influence of sin in us? That's what we'll talk about over the next few weeks. For now, here's what I want us to walk away with. Every human is born with the problem of pollution. Every human is born with this problem of corruption. And we're all born with incurable, terminal disease called sin that we can't fix and it leads to death. But that's precisely why God did what he did in his absolute love for us. He did not want us to be ruled by sin. So he made a way, he came, he took on the sin disease on himself, died the death that this terminal disease requires and leads to. He died that death and he provides the cure for us. And if we trust Jesus. If we trust what he did, we move from being defined from the problem of pollution. We move away from that. We move from being defined by the corruption of sin to being filled with the life of him. To put it very simply in one line, I'll put this on the screen. This is what has happened. In Christ, I'm not defined by sin. I'm defined by him. In Christ, I don't have to be defined by sin. I am defined by him. To end, we're gonna have the band sing a song that, that speaks some of this stuff. It talks about how we were alone and we couldn't do this and how death kind of reigned in us. But then because of what Christ did, he came in to care of the problem of death and sin so that my life can begin in him. And as we do that, I'd love for you to think about these words. Think about the reality that Jesus didn't only overcome the problem of punishment and forgave us. He overcame the problem of pollution and gives us a cure and a different way to be defined by him. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you. Thank you so much for this incredible, deep, life-changing reality. And I know, Father, it's hard to, to wrestle with. It's hard to understand because we're so dominated by this problem of pollution and sin in our world. How can this even be? But Father, I pray that we will understand that that's why you did what you did. You knew that this pollution corrupts us. You knew that it messes with us, our own dreams, our own desires, our own life, our own relationships. And Jesus, you came to die the death so that we don't have to be defined by it anymore. So we can be defined by you and your life and your love and your righteousness. I pray that we know that. I pray that we can, can live in that, find that, discover that, develop that, deepen that in our lives. So that we cannot be defined by the problem of sin. But, but defined by you in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Won't you stand as we sing this song?
Darkness rejoiced as though heaven had lost. 